Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be going into the Salt and Light closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2020. First off, we are joined by author Brendan Hodge to talk about his novel, If You Can Get It. And then we meet a teenager, singer-songwriter Miley Asbill. In our second half hour, we have a featured conversation with Magnus McFarlane Barrow about the organization that he founded that feeds some one million children every day, Mary's Meals. And at the end of the program, we meet singer-songwriter Brother Isaiah of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. We begin now with a novel about the importance of family. Jen Nilsson has an MBA, a nice condo, and a fast-track job at a tech startup in Silicon Valley. But then, her younger sister Katie, just out of college and estranged from their parents, blows through the front door. And Jen lets her 10-year younger sister, the embodiment of all that annoys her, move in. That's the beginning of If You Can Get It, a novel by Brendan Hodge that explores the place of family and love in our lives. To learn more about the novel and to talk about what makes a novel Catholic, I spoke with Brendan Hodge earlier this week. Brendan Hodge, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Great to be here. So, um, from the description that I just read about the novel, people might get the sense that maybe there's not much happening in the story, but uh, what would you say, in your words, what is this novel really about? So it's a character-driven story, and so that means that uh, describing just the plot can seem a little strange, but Mm -hmm. it focuses on uh, Jen, who is a successful career woman working in Silicon Valley, and as the book opens, she is focused on her career. She's excited about a big promotion she thinks is around the corner and working on a product launch, and then her 10 years younger sister, Katie, Uh, who she's never known well because she's so much younger, shows up on her doorstep after a fight with their parents and says she doesn't want to live with their parents anymore. Can she live with Jen? And so this kind of plunges Jen into a much more uh, family-oriented mode where she's trying to look after this sister who's just out of college and has no experience in the adult world. And then as they're trying to negotiate their relationship, Jen is laid off from her job. Mm. And uh, being a career-focused person, she's desperately searching for another job. She ends up taking one that takes her to China where she gets mixed up with Chinese manufacturing. And this leads to a cascading series of events where she's reevaluating her relationship with work as well as her relationship with her family and the other people she has love for in her life. Right. So, so it's, it's a novel, it's a story about family and family values. Would you say that? Yes. Yeah. I think the real heart of the novel is the relationship between the sisters Yep. And then their relationship with their parents. Right. Um, the title, If You Can Get It, can you explain that? Is there, can I hear some, some, some musical tones from, an, from a Gershwin tune here? <laughs> yes, yes. It is referencing the uh, George and Ira Gershwin song, uh, Nice Work If You Can Get It. And uh, I, I love the song, but yes. the song, uh, it's nice work if you can get it. The book focuses a lot on work and the place that work has in our lives. Mm-hmm. But it's actually... Um, the the song is about relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's about how uh, your life is only worthwhile if you have love in it and it's made worthwhile by love. So I felt like the fact that the novel was about work, but it's about learning how work needs to be in the context of our relationships and of love in our life. 
Um, and the song, which is nice work, if you can get it. I just like the interplay. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and you could, I mean, I suppose I was going to say you could argue that the song, but the song is really the work in the song is the relationships, is the love. That's yeah, the work. It'd be nice yeah. if you could get it. Um, so there's that that I guess play on words. Um, so why why did you want to write this novel, Brendan? Um. So I feel like the novel is an underappreciated way to talk about what's important in our lives as human beings. Uh, you, you can write a, a philosophical work or a theological work about the importance of family or how work needs to be contextualized within our lives as Christians. But we, we live in the everyday world. We experience our relationships with other people and with our jobs. And we think in very concrete terms. And I think fiction helps you address these questions in very concrete terms like that. And I, I wanted to address this kind of tech world and corporate world because it, it is where I work. I'm, I'm a director of pricing right. for an, an industrial hard materials company. I've worked in the tech industry at computer companies. So I, I sort of love it and I sort of hate it. And I, I definitely <laughs> see the humor in it. So it was a world that I thought would be great to live in. And I thought it would be really enjoyable to talk about this kind of uh, sister and family dynamic between yeah. the sisters and, and them and their parents. Yeah. Now, I know you yourself have a large family. I don't know if you come from a large family, but why did you want the two protagonists, I guess, the two main characters to be women? I mean, how, do, how does you, Brendan Hodge, kind of write from a point of view of a woman? Like, why did you choose that approach rather than writing about something that was maybe closer to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what really drew me into the sibling dynamic here was the sense in which we don't choose our closest relationships. Uh, when you know, you're born into a family, or, or even if you're adopted into a family, you seldom have any real choice in mm -hmm. who you're adopting, who you're adopted by, who you're, who you're born into. And yet those are the closest relationships that we have, and we don't choose them. And sometimes we even feel like we don't know the people that we're related to all that well, and we rediscover them at various points in our lives. And so mm -hmm. I like the idea of these two sisters being 10 years apart and having to develop an adult relationship. And if you want to really explore a relationship and have people think about it in an urgent way, I felt like it was going to be more realistic to have the sisters in this uh, book than brothers, because mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a guy, we, we have a way of just kind of letting things slide. You can just, you know, sit on the couch together, have a beer, watch a TV show, and you may not feel like you need to really answer questions about why do we feel the way we feel about each other. <laughs> right. So I felt like by having these be sisters, it would really kind of press on this question of, well, wait, we, we're related to each other. This needs to matter. Uh, and yet we barely know each other and we're not all that compatible. So how are we going to sort these things out? Yeah. Um, these are obviously universal themes. Um, the novel is published by Ignatius. Uh, would you say that this is a Catholic novel? Is it, is there, I mean, if there is faith in the novel, but is it a novel about faith? Boy, that's, that's a tough question. And, and as a writer, I know, and as a reader, I struggle with the question of what mm -hmm. is a Catholic novel. Certainly this is a cat, a novel which takes place, um, with ca characters who are Catholic. So, uh, my two main characters, Jen and Katie, are, are kind of fallen awake Catholics as the novel begins. 
Mm -hmm. uh, they grew up in a Christmas and Easter Catholic kind of family. Their parents have recently come back to the faith in a, in a much closer way. And at first, that's kind of a thing between them and their parents. Mm -hmm. They don't understand why their parents have gotten into this all of a sudden, and it seems like a barrier. And then different events kind of cause them to re-examine what it is that their parents are doing and what their own relationship with Catholicism is. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say it's a, a novel of faith in the sense that you don't have long theological dialogues where people hash out points of doctrine or points of morality. Uh, I think that, I mean, a lot of us, you may do that occasionally a few times in your life, but that's that's not how most of us encounter faith. We, we see it, it in how other people practice and whether it is making them happy and whether they seem to be finding what's true and what's beautiful in it. And that's what these characters go through during the course of the novel. So Catholicism is very much a present force in the novel. Uh, and, uh, but I think it's something which is, I, I wanted it to be interesting to readers, whether they were Catholic or not. And so right. I have been very pleased to see, uh, not just Catholic readers enjoy it a lot, but, uh, uh other Christians, uh, I, I had some very enthusiastic mm -hmm. reviews from a couple of Mormon readers, right. uh, and, and from non-Catholic, non-Christian readers as well. Well, it's interesting because I, I find that one of the most, I guess, in the most interesting insights about faith actually come from one of the characters who's Jewish. Um, or who's come back to his Jewish faith in the in the novel, correct? Yes, yeah. yeah. So uh, Jen's best friend from uh, business school is a mm -hmm. lawyer uh, who is Jewish, and as she starts dealing with her family, she starts asking him questions about sort of. I, I know you're kind of religious. How, how do yeah. you deal with family that, that is, sees these things as important? Is it just they think they're better than me, or what is it? What does it mean? And, yeah. and he's able to give her an outsider's perspective on that, that I think to her is a little less threatening because a lot of people who've been, they've grown up Catholic and then they've been away. There's this very threatening position mm -hmm. the church has in their lives. And so you can almost hear these things more honestly from someone who's outside the Christian faith or right. from outside the Catholic church. Yeah. I wondered if you'd, you'd made that choice that it was easier to make some, some specific points about the importance of faith through, through a character who's not Catholic because maybe, I don't know if that would have felt too much like bashing people over the head. Um, is Jen's journey similar to Brendan's journey? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I actually, uh, I grew up in a, a very, um, very actively practicing Catholic family. Yeah. Uh, maybe not quite traditionalist, but very kind of old school. Yeah. Um, and I went to the Franciscan University, uh, Franciscan right. University of Steubenville, where I yeah. met my wife. We got married one year, uh, like right out of college, and uh, we we now have seven children. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we, we've followed somewhat different paths. <laughs> yeah, interesting, interesting. But I guess that that informs your writing and informs your storytelling. Um, very interesting. I, I I enjoyed the novel, Brendan. Thank you for sharing it. I did want to mention uh, we don't have time to talk about it right now, but I did want to mention that you do have a blog, um, Darwin Catholic. That in itself, it's it's probably enough for a whole other interview. Um, so maybe people want to check out your blog, darwincatholic.blogspot.com, uh, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So Brendan Hodge, thank you so much for, uh, for writing the book and sharing a little bit about it and about yourself today with us. Thanks for reading. It was great to talk with you. Brendan Hodge is a husband and father of seven, a novelist and a director of pricing analytics in Ohio. His latest novel, If You Can Get It, is published by Ignatius. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Miley Asbel, with her single, You Made Me. 
You held my hand when I was three. You made me me. Through all the years you were there, all the memories we share. You made me me. And though the page has turned. I'll take all the things I've learned. You showed me what it means to love when you came to every game, and that sometimes losing's winning. We learn to play the game. Yeah, you've shown me all that I can do and all that I can be. This happened to me. You pushed me to the finish line, even when I didn't want to try. And now I'm me. And though the page has turned, I'll take all the things I've learned. Since you held me in your palm, and you gave me my best friend for life, 'cause you're married to my mom. And as far as I may go from here, we're still a family.
That was Miley Asbill with her single, You Made Me. Now, what can I say about Miley Asbill? She's 18 years old. She plays music at church. She also helps lead worship during adoration at her old youth group and for different parishes across the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. She performs at different venues as much as she can. She's been singing for as long as she can remember. She started guitar lessons when she was seven. She's been writing songs since she was eight. And she likes to write songs for special occasions and for her friends. Anyway, we've been listening to her music. And as you can hear, it's really, really good stuff. And so I'm very happy to welcome Miley Asbill to our program. Miley, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And today is December 19th. It's your birthday. Happy yes, birthday. Yes, it is. Hey, thank you so much. <laughs> How fun is that? So, and I'm sorry to keep harping. I always, you know, I, in the at, at the beginning of the show, I, I, I made a point of saying that you were a teenager. I, I You probably don't think of yourself as a teenager because 18, 19, you're an adult, but you're still a teenager. You're so young. <laughs> um. um which is going to make this my first question a little weird because I always ask people what it was like growing up. Um, so you grew up in Cincinnati or? In... Uh, I grew up in Dayton. Okay. Yeah. Um, in Ohio. And uh, what was it like? Is it a Catholic family? Is it a big family? Is it a musical family? Um, it is we a Catholic family. Um, definitely not big. I just have one younger sister. Okay. Uh, she's a senior in high school right now. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty. I live in Kettering, which is a suburb of Dayton. It's okay. a pretty small town, very strong Catholic community, though. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I've, I've been here my whole life and it's it's great. <laughs> so so you and you, you how long were you playing music at church? Like, was that part of growing up as well? Yeah, for sure. I went to a, my elementary school is right down the street from me. I'd walk to school every day with my sister and okay. every Tuesday we'd have mass and I would help play there. Starting okay. in fourth or fifth grade, I would start okay. helping to play music. And, and so the school was a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Parochial school attached to the parish. Nice. Um, and music, you started playing guitar at, when you were seven, taking lessons when you were seven. Is that something you wanted to do or your parents forced you? Yeah, I, I wanted to do it. When I was like three or four, I got like a guitar for Christmas that you know you just get your kid a guitar that you can bang on and stuff but yeah I found it in our basement covered in dust and um yeah in first grade I was just like that is like the one thing I would always ask for for Christmas and really yeah just really just wanted to like a real guitar that I could play and I got one and it was like the best Christmas <laughs> yeah and, do you yeah. still have it do you still have that first guitar I do yeah. yeah it's in it's in my bedroom and uh it's That's great it's great Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Now you wrote your first song. Can I, I'm going to share this. I don't hope it doesn't embarrass you, you <laughs> no, <told> me <laughs> that you wrote your first song when you were eight. And can I say the title of the song? It's called oh, a hot absolutely. dog and hamburger song. Mm -hmm. Can you sing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can sing. I can sing a, a little part, part of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. My, my friends and family always, always make fun of me for it, but I like it. It's I know I started songwriting, I guess. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so it's just like, um, I like hot dogs and hamburgers with ketchup and mustard. I like to run and play and jump. I like to swing and slide down humps. I like to dance to a bunch of songs. So if you can just sing 
long and then oh, it just goes on and on <laughs> okay so clearly you weren't writing song like christian songs at that stage <laughs> <No>. <laughs> when when did you when did you think that songwriting was part of what you wanted to do and when did it become more of a christian kind of songwriting yeah i i don't know i've never really pursued music as like a, a career it's always uh -huh. just been something to fall back on it's like one of the three constants in my life like faith family and music yeah. they've just yeah. always been there for me um but I would say I really got into songwriting um my freshman year of high school I wrote like the theme song of our our school kind of based off the motto the mantra okay. of my yeah. high school um but yeah I just have been writing for so long and music has just always been something I can fall back on it's just something I love to do and it's just fun and um I really started to write Christian music um following my sophomore year of high school um just tying because that's really when I experienced the love of God for myself and was like I want to make my faith part of who I am um what did something so happen really just tying music into prayer became a, a huge thing for me throughout high school as well did something happen in that sophomore year? Like what, did you have a little bit of a, a conversion experience or a retreat experience or something? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I attended a Steubenville youth conference right. in Steubenville, Ohio. Yeah. Um, my old theology teacher from freshman year took a big group of us there and I had never experienced anything like that before. And mm -hmm. it was, it was incredible and it really changed my life. And I knew I didn't want to just write out this, retreat high that lots of people tend to get um I, I really wanted to make it a commitment so that's what I've been trying to do <laughs> yeah for sure now it's interesting and you didn't mention it you're not pursuing music uh, you know you're in university you're not you're not you're studying to sciences you're more of a science person <laughs> um uh service uh not music not theology not you know ministry you're not at the franciscan university of steubenville <laughs> um why not you're not sort of feel drawn to to that as a as a career yeah you know um i always kind of say if the opportunity ever comes up of course i'm going to take it mm -hmm. <laughs> and i've definitely considered it like pursuing it but i don't i don't really know why actually it's just always just kind of been something that's for fun and that I love and something that connects me to other people. <laughs> and when you're, when you're doing like leading worship or uh, I mean, I've seen videos of you on stage and it sounds like it's at like NCYC or I don't know where you were. And, and it, you're, it, it feels like you're so comfortable and you're totally in that element. Yeah. That video you saw probably was at NCYC. Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I competed in the talent competition there. And yeah. Um, going on stage in front of lots of people it's never really bothered me um no. I kind of try to keep the nerves inside <laughs> yeah. I I did a lot of theater growing up so I think right. that kind of helped me um develop some poise on stage but um yeah it's just I know so many people love music and feel connected to different songs and stuff and uh, I just want to be that kind of vessel that people can connect to a song right um so you we've been listening to some of your music i've been saying they're all singles you don't have an album is that something that you're thinking of doing or you're just gonna wait and see if you have the opportunity uh yeah i would love to write an album um i i would definitely be a project i'd love to pursue do you have enough songs that you could put an album together now um i don't know 
know, I have about five songs, so maybe an EP, but <laughs> I oh. can crank out like one song a year. So oh, that's good. <laughs> maybe that's in good. a few years. Maybe in yeah. a few years. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, Miley, great meeting you. Um, thank you for <laughs> thank you for coming on the show. I, I love meeting new artists. Um, and and I really like your music and your attitude. Uh, Thank you so much. So I do hope that you you are able to put together a little album. And if not, doesn't matter. Keep writing music, and we'll keep uh, having you on the show and see how you're doing um, <laughs> with uh, with whatever the Lord puts uh, you know on your on your on your path. Um, yeah. Again, happy birthday! Oh, thank and, you. <laughs> and uh, and Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks so much for having me. All right, take care. Miley Asbill, as, as you could probably figure out, she does not have a website, but she is, you can find her and her music all over the internet on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, anywhere where you stream music. Um, just look her up, Miley Asbill. But we're going to put all those links on our website, slmedia.org slash podcast, so you can find her easily. Um, if you missed any part of our conversation or you want to listen to it again, just head to that same website, slmedia.org slash podcast. And here now then to take us out is Miley Asbel with another single, Revealed. We tend to think you are only a feeling So we never truly start believing We say so listening to Miley Asbill with her song Revealed. 
on this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at slmedia.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Every day, almost 60 million children miss school because of poverty. They have to work or beg or scavenge for food. Many millions more go to school hungry and are not able to concentrate and learn. That is the focus of Mary's Meals, feeding children in a place of education so that they can learn. Mary's Meals was started by Magnus McFarlane Barrow in Scotland after many years of working for another organization that he and his brother started, Scottish International Relief. Now, after almost 20 years of feeding over a million children every day, Magnus has written a book about charity and generosity. It is titled, Give, Charity and the Art of Living Generously. And to learn more about it, earlier this week, I spoke with Magnus McFarlane Barrow. Magnus McFarlane Barrow, is good to see you. Good to speak to you again. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much. Great to be speaking to you again, too. So I think we have a little bit of an idea of what Mary's Meals is, what you do, but, but can you tell us in short, what is the, the, the mission of Mary's Meals? Sure. It, it's a very simple mission. Uh, it's about providing one good meal uh, every day in, in a place of education uh, for the world's poorest children, many of whom miss school because of hunger, because they're working. Um, so by serving that meal through the local community, uh, we, we meet that immediate need of the hungry child for food. But at the same time, we enable the child um, to come to a place of education where they right. can gain that, that gift that can set them free. Right, exactly. We, we, uh, it's hard to learn on an empty stomach. Um, and these statistics? Uh, well, we're feeding uh, 1.6 million children oh, yes. every day. Uh, so un unfortunately, today there are probably about 120 million children globally wow. uh, who would benefit from Mary's Meals. About half of them are out of school and hungry, and another half, another 60 or so million in school, but too hungry to, to learn. And it's and this is Canadian dollars, but it's about twenty six dollars to feed a child for an entire year. Why is it so cheap? Yeah, twenty six dollars and forty cents is what it currently costs us on average. It varies a bit from in different countries where we work. Obviously, mm -hmm. the main reason it's so cheap is virtually all of the daily work of Mary's Meals is done by unpaid volunteers. You know, if we just think about Malawi, the country where, where this began and our biggest program, we have over 85,000 Malawian volunteers who are cooking and serving uh, those meals as a gift, as their contribution uh, to this mission. Um, the, another key part of, of that cost, which always sounds hard to believe when people first uh, hear it, is that uh, we're really committed to buying the food locally to support the local farmer, to support the local uh, economy. Uh, and, and, you know, as we've grown to, to, to be feeding that very large number of children, uh, we're buying food uh, locally at a particular uh, scale. And that's a very cost efficient way of doing things as well as benefiting the local economy. And of those, those $26 a year, $26.40 Canadian dollars a year, how much of it actually goes? Because you're, you're still operating out of a shed, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm speaking to you from the shed now. Uh, we're being a, being a very mean Scotsman. Uh, but we, we have a, a, a self-imposed rule 
um, that we will spend at least 93% uh, mm. of our funds directly uh, on the projects, directly on the charitable uh, projects. And because we know when people entrust us with a gift, they, they do that to, to right. ensure children are fed, not, not for us to do other things with it. And how many countries are you working in? So currently uh, working in 19 different countries, deliberately choosing uh, the countries where there are the biggest numbers of children suffering uh, malnutrition, uh, the biggest right. numbers of children out of school because of poverty. So many countries in Africa, we're in Haiti, we're in mm -hmm. India. Uh, so a big variety of countries, Wonderful. but always that same simple mission. Wonderful. Um, you've written a book. This is your second book, correct? Um, it's called yeah. Give, Charity, and the Art of Living Generously. Why did you feel it was time to write uh, another book? Well, a couple of reasons, really. I mean, you know, over the years, I just feel this huge sense of privilege, really. I didn't plan to do this work. Mm -hmm. You know, God asked me to do this in a very unexpected way. Um, and, and all the years since, you know, one of the great privileges I feel of doing this is repeatedly encountering the goodness of of people like heroic goodness startling acts of charity in all kinds of situations you know and in in lots of different kinds of places and cultures um people who are rich people who are very poor uh, all finding ways to give to, to help their neighbor uh, somehow you know, and every time we see something difficult happening in the world, even now, this experience we're having with the pandemic, we invariably see this this um, wonderful human response. This thing that I think uh, points uh, to the to the beauty uh, of uh, the wonder of the of the human being. Right. And and so that's been my experience. And 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 then at the same time, over these years, um, sadly, I I, I see. How, how, how sometimes charity or charitable organizations at least sometimes um, have a bad reputation, sometimes even uh, in a small number of cases become the cause of scandal. Mm -hmm. uh, there are persistent questions that never quite go away around, around charity and how it's organized, how it's administered. Um, and, and I think that makes me very sad because I, sometimes I think that can diminish charity that beautiful human virtue so i i wanted to write a book to to not shy away from some of those difficult issues that charities face um but but more than that to try and uh elevate um this wonderful thing that is charity to shine yeah. a light on it and and to do that very largely through um sharing true stories things right. that i have experienced and encountered over the years Right. Yeah. And you, you specifically qualify charity as uh, there's authentic charity, but you also call living generously an art. Why is living generously an art? Well, I, I again, going back to that sense of privilege, I, I feel, you know, I, as I say, I've met just so many wonderful people who have, um, who have developed a, a charitable outlook people who've really learned to give of themselves i you know i think for most people that isn't just something that you're just born with of course we have different personalities and certainly personally i feel very much still as a as a beginner on this journey but something i observe is that the, the people who i've met over the years who are the most charitable who've really learned to give of themselves on a, on a regular basis are invariably also the most joyful people 
I, I've met the happiest people, the people who are who are most complete. You know, I think they're the people who've become uh, the people that God made them to be. You know, and 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 so 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 there is a sense of journey around this. I think if we want to be people like that, we need to 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 set off in a, in a determined and, and deliberate way on mm-hmm. on that journey into charity. Right, and you don't have to have a lot to be generous. No, that, that, that's for sure. You know, and, and I, I've seen that so often. And I think that's probably been some of my most humbling experiences as meeting who, people who have nothing, you know, who are maybe, mm-hmm. you know, facing a daily struggle to survive. You know, I mentioned earlier those 85,000 volunteers who, who cook and serve the meals in our, in our mission. Nearly all of those are people who face, who face hunger, who face right. question marks about how they're going to feed their children tomorrow. And, and yet they're choosing to give the gift that they can, which is time mm-hmm. um, to, to help the children of their uh, communities. And I see that in, in all sorts of, of wonderful ways. So, yeah, I think one of the wonderful things about charity is it's not, not something that's, that's uh, a possibility just for a few people in particular situations. It's, it's in reach of, of all of us ev- every day, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I would think that your hope for the for the book or for readers is that they will dig deep down inside and find that that uh, 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 desire to be generous. But uh, do you have any other hopes for the book or for the readers? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I think, uh, I, I think that, that that definitely that it encourages people on that journey. I've I, I've talked about that might it might give some pointers. Uh, you know, it it might. It might remind people just how wonderful human beings are, because we definitely live in a world where we we read a lot of um, depressing stories about mm-hmm. about humanity. You know, and again, I feel in these days we're living right now, these very particular days, that things in a way feel a little bit more stark. You know, those choices uh, for the good or or for the bad, to look outwards uh, or to look to look inwards. You know, so I I hope this book might encourage people. Uh, in their in their choices uh, around those things, I hope also it 's a book that provides guidance in a in a particular way for those of us who find ourselves as stewards of of charity mm. find ourselves organizing other people 's uh, gifts because some of the book is is devoted to my experience of of that task as as well right well magnus thank you thank you for sharing thank you for writing the book thank you for the work that you do and and for telling us about it today and uh it's been really good to talk to you today. It's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. It always is. And yeah, th- thank you for talking to me again. Yes, hopefully uh, when this is all over, you can come back to Canada and we can uh, have a meal together. <laughs> I look forward to that very much. All very right. much. Take care. God, God bless. bless you. Bye-bye. 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 Magnus McFarlane Barrow is the founder and CEO of Mary's Meals. He is the author of The Shed That Fed a Million Children. His new book, Give, Charity and the Art of Living Generously, can be found wherever you get your books. You can learn more at marysmeals.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Brother Isaiah, with Shepherd My Thoughts from his album, Shade. Shepherd my thoughts, O Lord, on the mountains of my heart. On the mountains of my heart where you dwell Shepherd my thoughts, O Lord On the mountains of my heart On the mountains of my heart where you dwell You quiet my soul, O Lord 
with the touch of your hand, with the touch of your hand, you quiet my soul. You quiet my soul, oh Lord. With the touch of your hand, with the touch of your hand and gentle voice. Through every weather, you show yourself shepherd. You show yourself faithful and patient and true. It's through every weather. You show yourself shepherd. You show yourself patient and faithful and true. Please teach me and lead me, love. Yes, teach me and lead me, love. And help me to follow, follow after you. Yes, help me to follow, follow after you. I shall not want no, 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 with you. I shall not want with you, O Lord. I shall not want with you, Good Shepherd. No, no, I shall not want with you. Show yourself faithful and patient and true. It's through every weather. You show yourself, shepherd. 
You show yourself faithful and patient and true. That was Brother Isaiah with Shepherd My Thoughts from his last album, Shade. Brother Isaiah is a member of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. His first album, Broomstick, was on the top 10 on Amazon's singer-songwriter albums. His full-length album, Poco a Poco, came next, and now he has a third album released this spring titled Shade. I had the chance to speak with Brother Isaiah earlier this week. Brother Isaiah, um, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. It's so good to meet you. Deacon Pedro, thank you for having me. God bless you and grateful to be here. So so we know you're a Franciscan friar. You're with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, but you, you, your life didn't start there. So I'm always, always uh, curious to ask our guests kind of where they came from. What was it like for you growing up? You grew up in California, right? I did, yes. Uh, San Francisco area, Bay Area, and yeah. uh, yeah, grew up out there, spent most of my life out there, and uh, was kind of quietly drawn to the Lord over the years. And I think something just about being near the sea was really, um, the, uh-huh. was really the root of my vocation. Something about the Lord's kind of capturing my heart there and, and drawing me to himself. But it was a road, it was a roundabout route, and uh, um, I ended up moving to Boston um, for college. And mm-hmm. it was really during that time that uh, discerned my vocation as a Franciscan brother after really, uh, I guess, encountering the Lord's love for me in a new way after just feeling pretty burnt out and empty at one point and really um, feeling found by the Lord. And, and that began a journey of uh, discovering a Franciscan vocation in my community, which is based out of the New York area. So yeah. I joined the community in 2008. Did you grow up Catholic? Was it a Catholic household? I did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But do you feel that you had a like when you were in Boston, there was a bit of a conversion there. Had you sort of straight away or? Yeah, it was an awakening. I'd say that, you know, yeah. it felt like, felt like hearing the good news for the first time, even though I'd heard it many times. And, yeah. uh, but every time is as if it's the first time. And um, the Lord really, uh, I guess, captured my heart again and showed me how he had been doing that repeatedly throughout my life, trying to just uh, call me to himself and, and communicate himself and his love to me. So it was really a, as if for the first time, but it, it was it was a story of him looking for me and searching for me all along. So grateful. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's a story that I think a lot of people are familiar with. Um, was it w- w- was music a part of your life growing up, or is that also a, a yeah. something that happened as an adult? Yes, music's been there all along. I, I yeah. am so grateful. I feel like it's been the language of heaven uh, throughout the story. Um, you know, I, I remember my first radio. I was probably. Uh, it must've been about seven years old. I got my first radio and it only had AM stations. So I could, I only had music in Spanish for the first few years. And uh, uh, eventually first tape cassette player and then first CD player and music was there all along. When I first got my license, driving and listening to music was my greatest joy. And it, it really was the p- place where I felt like um, God helped me give voice to my heart 
all along, mm -hmm. you know, the different stages of life and the different cries of the heart, they were kind of expressed through the music I listened to. And, right. and as I got older, I think in the teenage years, especially, I noticed it was a way to begin to process the deeper questions, the existential questions, and then also to begin to um, give voice to prayer, even before I knew I was praying, you know, just trying mm -hmm. to, what's, what's going on in the heart and how do you communicate that? And eventually there, those those cries were kind of being addressed to the Lord. So music was there all along though. I, I love music. I've always loved it. Uh, all types of music and it, it moves my soul. So yeah. grateful. Yeah. And you're right to say that it, it is the language of heaven. Um, I remember uh, speaking many years ago with Father Stan, Father Stan Fortuna, that I'm sure you, you know. Um, and he felt that when he was being called to the Franciscans, that he had to sort of make almost make a choice that he felt that he might have to sacrifice his music. Did you feel that same, that that was, that was part of your call? Well, I will say I was surprised. I didn't know it was going to be part of my call. It was my, my deepest dream in high school. Um, but I never could have thought that it could have been part of my dream. Actually, uh, I, I, I didn't think it could be part of my call and it ended up being that way. Yeah. So the Lord surprised me, I guess, in a little bit of an opposite way, but similarly surprised by God's goodness because it wasn't my plan. And I, I don't think I could have dreamed it, uh, that the Lord would allow it to be such a part of my vocation now. So he surprised me in that way. I, I didn't think it was possible and he, he proved me wrong. So it's just been a beautiful gift. Yeah. I, 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 is it safe to say that the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal are famous because of that underground in New York where you, you've been part of that for, for a long time? Uh, it's or been a huge gift of an, yeah, an apostle. It's one of our outreaches and, and, in God's goodness and humility, it's been, we've had a very fruitful experience with it. And our, the house I live in currently in New York, we run that apostolate yeah. um, in, the, in the Manhattan area. So um, it's, it's been a huge joy and music is a huge part of it. So can you, yes. can you, can you tell our listeners who maybe are not familiar with what it is a little bit about mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Catholic underground is a monthly event that we run in a beautiful church, um, Our Lady Good Council in Manhattan. And it's an evening of prayer and, and, and community and music is a part of all of that. So mm -hmm. we begin with a holy hour with some lead meditation and music and, and some time for quiet with the Lord. And then afterwards in the basement uh, of this church, um, it's a really beautiful setup there. We'll have a feature different Catholic artists through the year and um, just focusing and spotlighting Catholic artists and, and of all sorts and genres and mm -hmm. people with from different paths. And it's been a great way to, um, build an awareness of Catholic art and um, just the way the faith is expressed in so many different ways uh, by so many different artists. And then also time for fellowship and communion. So uh, it's a monthly event and we run it and uh, thanks be to God for the people who help us do it. So Yeah, praise God. I know I've heard so much about it for so many years and I've never been able to to be in New York around, you know, at the same time. So hopefully one day I'll, I'll, I'll be able to, to, to join in. Um, tell us a bit about the songwriting. So you obviously you were already doing some songwriting as you were growing up with the music, but kind of now, do you feel that that's part of kind of your apostolate as well? It's not just sharing music, but also writing music? Yes. Yeah. I, I started, you know, um, writing music when I got to the community really just for personal, uh, personal hobby. And then I, just with our different ways, we were able to share the gospel and in evangelization events, I've been able to share the music and uh, it's become much more a part of my apostolate now. And our community's apostolate has been there, you know, obviously with father Stan and brothers before me. Um, but mm -hmm. yes, it's one of the ways 
we've been able to share the gospel and that's at the end of the day what it's what it amounts to and in the last few years i've had the gift to be able to make um to produce a few albums with the help of a lot of generous hands and so it's actually become a more regular part of my life again quite unexpectedly but um it's part of our community's outreach to one of our commitments is is just sharing the gospel um in all different creative forms so this is one of those ways we've been able to do it and i've been grateful for the community's encouragement and, and support with it yeah is there something is there something about the franciscan charism that you think kind of makes perfect sense with the music yes um there is what i know one franciscan uh, poor claire sister has called the franciscan poetic license and you know so from, from the beginning yeah. francis and claire both were very bold in the way they allowed um, poetry to speak to their of their story with of what the Lord had called them to. Um, they allowed themselves to be caught up in a very much a a, a story, a narrative that God was mm -hmm. telling over their lives. And they were poets themselves and musicians in many ways. And there's yeah. countless stories of Francis singing and, and all over the yeah. countryside of, of Europe. Troubadour, yeah, yeah. So it's been there from the beginning, and I think it has something to do with this sort of the poetic freedom of the Franciscan charism to express the love of God in, um, in unusual ways. So this has definitely mm -hmm. been a part of the tradition and I'm, it's amazing just a gift to be able to jump into that stream that has uh, been flowing for, for quite some time. Yeah. And I, and it makes sense in, in that, in the creative sense to, to, to be free, to let the spirit take you creatively where, where you need to go and, and it'll express itself in, in whichever way it needs to express itself. Brother Isaiah, it's been so great chatting with you today, meeting you, uh, hearing your music and, uh, and learning a little bit about what you do. Hopefully we can, uh, get you back on the show. I know you, you have a new album shade that just came out in the spring. Be sure to let us know when the next one's coming down, down the pipes, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll bring you back on and, and maybe talk a little bit more about what you do and your music. Definitely. Thank, thank you very much, Deacon Pedro. God bless you, and God bless all who are listening. Thank you. Yes, you too. Take care. That was a conversation I had with Brother Isaiah earlier this week. Brother Isaiah is with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. You can learn about his ministry and music and their work at franciscanfriars.com and also at renewalinmotion.com. Here now is Brother Isaiah with Love Song for the Bride from his album Poco a Poco. Holy Mount Zion Bride of the Most High God, see, behold your beauty, radiant in the gaze of your lover king.
Zion, you're a princess, you're a bride But you don't seem to see it on the inside I see you running after so many lovers, yeah Just to find yourself alone and uncovered, yeah Beat down, strung out, so unsatisfied With all the masks you wear and all the tricks you've tried I see you running, see you stumbling, see you falling down I see you longing, see you dying just to be found Oh, holy Mount Zion Bride of the most God, see, behold your beauty, yeah. radiant in the gaze of your... We're listening to Brother Isaiah with Love Song for the Bride from his album Poco a Poco. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, slmedia.org. That's where you can listen to all our programs and not just podcasts. There's a lot of content there, videos and our blog. You can also find out everything you want about Salt and Light Media and how you can support our ministry because we can't do this without your financial support. That's slmedia.org. And if you have any comments or questions, send them. Email pedro at slmedia.org. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro. Holy Mount Zion.